0: Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Welcome to the second session of the Tilly Victor Friendship Project, or TVFP. We're recording outdoor sessions documenting our friendship as it progresses. This is a continuation of our first session, and as such, it was accidentally recorded on our H1N Zoom recorder as a low-quality MP3, but we solemnly swear to be up to higher fidelity good in future sessions. Today we're going to chat about liminality, possibly our favorite topic. We also mentioned the Sasnaam Musqueam City before Vancouver. We discussed mental health, bipolar disorder, specifically high-cycling bipolar disorder, and suicidality. I share a breakthrough I had on valuing myself more, and of course, content warning, we talk about indigenous rights, rapid cycling bipolar disorder, depression, and suicidality. These are all things to resource yourself for. So that sounds about right for our second session of getting to know each other as friends, right?
1: And we're back. I feel super self-conscious about this carrot eating now. Oh, you can totally finish eating that
2: carrot if you want.
1: (laughs) Everyone will be
3: listening to you. Yeah, that was that was good carrot eating. Like. <laughs> that's something that's uh, kind of neat about eating is your your sometimes you're miking more like your chest, mm-hmm. and your eating is more like chewing happening in your jaw. Mm-hmm. So even though like if you even just put a finger to like the skin by your throat, you can really feel yourself talking.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's different when you're like chewing. I think we're just really used to being miked like right by our mouth Yeah. So I'm noticing that the sun is coming out and starting to purchase a little more of this uh, blanket.
1: It's a hostile takeover. Yeah. I'm trying to decide how we feel about this chicken. Are we done with this chicken? I'm I'm feeling pretty good with the chicken for now, mm-hmm. but I might go back and have a little bit okay. later, depending Excellent. on how you feel. I will take it directly out of the sun because that's that's probably a good idea. I'm just going to move this thing. Yeah, yeah. We don't need chicken grease all over your microphone case. That would. I mean, we don't need chicken grease on it. will be like, "Why do your microphones smell so delicious?" Right. <laughs> reasons. They smell for reasons. So um, tell me more about these
3: questions you have. For oh, questions.
1: So I made them up um, impulsively right after we agreed to do this. Sounds uh, good. You know. Impulsive is good. Yes, you do. And the first one was, what were your reasons for agreeing to document a friendship via podcast?
3: Mm. I mean typically my default state is just being a big yes to things which is something i have to like work on (laughs) yeah um so if anything i tend to be a yes to things rather than being a no to them Mm -hmm. but like specifically why i thought this would be like a fun idea or a good idea is i'm i think i'm a bit of like like an intimacy nerd Mm -hmm. i just really enjoy experimenting and like thinking about alternatives to norms and I feel like this is a bit of a social experiment but in like the best possible way (laughs) because it's like taking a more in-depth look at what constructing friendship looks like and like that depends on like what friendship means to different people Mm. but it also kind of reminds me a bit of Steven Universe (laughs) As, as so many things in life do. Because <laughs> I love that show. It, it is an amazing show. It is. Um, but the idea that, like... We are each our own people but together we sort of form this like different social interaction Mm -hmm. where like the normal ways in which we each like deflect or transform slightly to suit the social environment around us becomes like a mutual transformation thing or hopefully to an extent a very minimal transformation thing Mm. and people feel free to be authentically themselves. sorry I'm just digesting that yeah yeah (laughs) so yes in a sense this is the um this is the fusion of Tilly
1: and Victor (laughs) we'll see what happens yes we'll see what that looks like I'm kind of wondering what the outfit is (laughs) (laughs) because one thing I love about Steven Universe is like the different outfits and looks and the different forms of the fusions right like do they get extra limbs or extra eyes right um what elements of the i think they always i think they all have the same number of eyes don't they stevani has two eyes not four but i think that's
3: because connie isn't a gem so connie oh right so there's like i don't think connie contributes limbs or forms so much as character and idea right but I could be mistaken but that would be my guess that because Connie's a human they don't get yeah Stavanna doesn't have multiple eyes or arms Ah. Oh. but uh, I'm, I'm just thinking because when I think about um, what's their face the um, the like centipede like fusion of like of like 60s polyamory <laughs> that is like a, the essentially the cartoon representation of like a marriage between like an entire
1: commune. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm just grimacing because it, it makes me makes me think about um, it makes me think about like certain polycules I've been involved in and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, non-monogamy is as varied if not significantly more so and as interesting as as any collection of of monogamous relationships I've been in. There's just so many more dynamics between partners of partners and it's just complex. And what's really interesting to me is there's this like, there's, I feel like the non-monogamy I'm most at home in is the liminal space. Mm. Like a very relationship anarchist Approach to like Well none of this really makes any sense to me So let's just talk about what we actually want And do that Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I live in this very liminal space When When I say liminal I mean like For people listening When all of the rules kind of break down and while you still have the bits and pieces and you're in the process of reassembling them, Mm -hmm. that's like the liminal space where things are sort of broken down and in the process of being reconstructed into something. Mm -hmm. But all the like Lego pieces are like half snapped together with like you know they're like
1: paired but different colors and like they haven't taken shape into like a structure yet. Yeah, I have a I have a strong relationship to the concept of liminality of like in between not quite one or what uh, the other but mm-hmm. for some reason when I think about liminality I always think about geography you <laughs> know what I
3: thought I'm sorry to derail this but like that Simpsons bit where Lisa's worried about getting an F and gym and her fantasy of her nightmares of how things are going to go wrong as she wins the presidency and then the reporter stops them at her inauguration to be like Lisa got an F and gym and then the judge sentences her to life and imprisonment on monster island and the lawyer like leans over her and is like don't worry it's just a name and then it cuts to her running from like from like godzilla and like fire breathing monsters and shit and she's like i thought he said it was just a name and then the other guy running through is like it is just a name monster Island's not really an island it's more of a peninsula
1: that is so, so perfect it's said geography and liminality you know? oh like, it
2: is just a name monster Island's more of a
1: peninsula <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so I always I always think about I think about s- like spaces like peninsulas or beaches or mm. deltas or like you know, like volcanoes. I consider volcanoes a liminal space, even though a lot of them are like very concrete, like considered mm-hmm. very concrete. Because I'm like, no, they're always changing. It's amazing. Right. Um, in,
3: a, in a human time frame, they may appear like they're not liminal, but it is a place of yeah reconstruction and remodeling for sure. Yeah,
1: and we live like we live on a subduction zone, and like amazing things happening like geologically all around us all the time um possibly horrific for humans (laughs) possibly horrific for humans (laughs) we should we should do a segment where we literally where i literally only talk about the megathrust earthquake because i'm obsessed with it
3: the the quote unquote big one that the has been one. prophesied for
1: nigh three hundred years. Yeah, because it could happen any moment during those three hundred years. Quite That's the problem. Yep. Yeah, it could happen now. It could not happen in the rest of my lifetime. Right, and it's going to be terrible. Yeah, it's going to be completely <laughs> awful. It's going to be so awful. Um, yeah, so I think about all these in between spaces, but like each in between space has like distinct characteristics right, and of that in-between space, and even, like, each beach is different, right, each river delta is different, yeah there's something about liminal spaces that is characteristically
3: its own Mm mm-hmm, yeah
1: yeah, so I I think yeah, because I often I often engage in a lot of, like liminal relationships, where it's like it's a friendship, and we also do this thing, yes, totally or it's, you know, it's a relationship yet It kind of works this way Um, and and I think of how a lot of them have like they're kind of unique like each relationship is unique and has unique characteristics because Mm -hmm. there's unique people in them and they tend to also have a series of constants which is probably like my personality and my approach to communication and life and humans and Mm -hmm. yeah Yep, that that's how I feel
3: about a lot of my relationships too. Is more of that relationship anarchisty. It's like, oh, we're we're friends who do these fun things together, and oh yeah, oh and now we're having sex as well. Okay, <laughs> cool, that's fine. Oh, and now we're in a bit of a DS dynamic. <laughs> well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> um, how did yeah, that like,
1: happen? Yeah, how did that
3: happen? Well yeah, I guess I can put a color on you, you know like <laughs> <laughs> just that kind of. Um, no, actually, color play is still really difficult for me. I, mm-hmm. I went to one of my first mass meetings, actually my first mass meeting ever, yeah. um, quite recently, and that was an interesting experience. But oh. I have to be careful about how much I, I disclose, because <laughs> obviously I can't talk about mast and what people said at mass, Yeah, but I also don't want to talk about like, my feelings towards individuals, because I wouldn't want to praise or or condemn or like say anything that would like adversely
1: impact other folks right and it, that's also all through like your own filter about how power dynamics and power play works for you right. and how you approach right. relationships exactly. how even like you approach the meetings i have been flirting with the idea of going to mast for like a year and a half but i think it's my experience like as kind of having self-exiled from the polyamorous community in Vancouver that I have a lot of hesitation about like going to a meeting that's centered on the type of relationship style or a description of the relationship style that you involve that you're involved in right yeah yeah yeah, it, I think what's neat about it
3: is getting to hear from other people that do total power exchange differently. Mm. Like, personally, I I feel like there are two main opinions towards, like, even just using the title of master or mistress and mm. specifically slave. Oh, that's a, that's a loaded word. That's a hugely loaded word, and there's a lot of history. So, on the one hand, you have folks being like, well, let's not, like, erase that word because, like, it has... You know, historic meaning and is important, and um, you know, you get all those like outlandish. alarmist oh we're you know erasing history are rewriting writing history and I'm like well do you actually think that like Romans beat people to death with a rabbit fur or flogger or do you think maybe we're trivializing that word by calling this a flogger or by calling this slavery mm-hmm. so I mean that's through my own filter and my own bias because clearly I fall on that side of the argument of thinking that we might be trivializing a bit yeah at the same time it's like with um with certain things specifically like i'm not a black person Mm -hmm. like any slavery in my heritage comes through my tamil side Mm. and you know like even though my family on that side is tamilian living outside of tamil nadu um, i'm not like any slavery that would have happened would have been likely hundreds and hundreds of years ago Mm -hmm. so um other than the intergenerational trauma of like extreme poverty in that side of my family like I don't know. I'm sort of wrestling with like, to what extent do I get to even have an opinion about this? Because slavery doesn't impact me in my heritage.
1: Yeah. To my knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a white person, and actually the other day, just the other day, um, so my mother's family has been in north america for about 12 generations wow that's so long that's so long also that means there's a lot of messed up stuff right like sure land theft colonization um some actual like my great uncle spilled some great tea on my family by writing a book of poetry called Settling in New Marblehead, which talks about some of that stuff, wow. which is great. Um, so, and we have this like huge family tree mm-hmm. that you can look up on the internet. I'm not going to disclose my mom's last name. Um, but I went and I was like, cause there's some stuff that you can find in various places. And I was like, there's no mention of slavery right right like there are some branches of the family that are black and there's no like is that intermarriage like how right, right. how did this come about um and I went and I looked on the family website and there's like right there's no talk about like did we own slaves did we bring slaves over from England did we participate at all um My mother likes to talk about how the small town that she grew up in was probably a station on the Underground Railroad, but I'm like, is this just people trying to feel better about themselves? Also, something I learned um, by listening to The Secret Life of Canada, which is an amazing podcast, that the Underground Railroad basically existed for about 30 years in, like, what, 200 300 years of slavery so that's like a
2: yeah that's, small. <laughs> that's
1: really a small part of history that white people like to cling to to feel better about themselves right, right. um so so yeah so i i do consider it entirely likely that some of my ancestors yeah. had slaves and or treated black people terribly right um,
3: well, I mean, oh. on the other side of my family, like I have my Tamil side, but then yeah. I have an English side. Right. And that side, even though we've only been in Canada four to five generations, that's just still a really long time. Yeah. I have a picture of my great-grandfather driving a cartage wagon, horse and buggy style, down Hastings as a dirt road. Oh, my god. That's goodness. how long my family's been in Vancouver specifically. Oh, wow. Crazy to me. Which is like... My grandfather's like six and on <laughs> his dad's lap, and I'm like, what am I looking at?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of the whole time Vancouver has been vancouver right yeah
3: yeah before then it just had you know an indigenous name exactly <laughs> which is like i i'm gonna butcher the pronunciation but i think it's like Cessnaam.
1: that yeah
3: Cessna-om. it's something C- like that yeah but yeah i will just take the flame on that <laughs> yeah. and people are like learn to pronounce
1: the place you live in i'm like sorry yeah at least i made it a footnote i'm trying <laughs> link to the there's a pronunciation guide I will link to the pronunciation guide thank you for reminding me I will make a note excellent and then you can find out how to pronounce it exactly I've listened to the recording a few times but it it has not stuck um yeah, so I don't I don't have an intimate relationship with slavery with the word with the word slave Sla- slave, or the concept of um, slavery as it has played out historically in terrible ways. So yeah, I feel like I don't necessarily get a
3: huge vote yeah that's how that's how I feel too at the same time I do feel like I get a vote on what I get to say right because like yeah. one, one of the one of the main thrusts for people who do want to use the word master slave um, or those words is that they want to take it back and I'm like that's fine that's a legitimate thing mm-hmm. that some people are choosing to do. I don't feel like it's mine to take back.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, do you get to take back something that was never used right. in a damaging way to right. you?
3: And and if it was historically in my family, which is, let's be honest, likely. There's mm. a lot of slavery in India, mm. like before the British, during the British. I want to hope not after the British.
2: <laughs> but like yeah. there
3: there has been a lot of historical slavery there, especially in, in the South. Mm. Um. Yeah. So I have like a, a like I'm well aware that the communities that my um, at least my great-grandfathers and grandmothers other and possibly even my grandfather possibly um, that their communities would have been affected by slavery. Mm-hmm. But I am not. I don't know directly because so much of that side of my history has been either erased or lost mm-hmm. that I just I have no idea how affected they were. Yeah how much of it was horizontal right right because when it's sort of like if like arrest rates are really 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 high in your community and to some extent everyone knows someone that's been incarcerated that that changes the relationship of the community with the state even if individuals haven't specifically been incarcerated Mm -hmm. in the same sort of way like slavery impacting communities um see what i did there (laughs) 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 slavery impacting communities um doesn't necessarily have to mean individuals dealing with it as much as the community dealing with it and there being a culture of dealing with it Mm -hmm. but again i'm talking about like the times of my grandfather and or great-grandfather and
1: grandmothers and Mm -hmm such which is simultaneously long ago but also not that long ago right Right. like we have to remember that right um it's
3: like less than four or five generations so the reason i was i was mentioning how long my white family was in vancouver was Mm -hmm. like it's not like they stopped being my family when they were in england Mm. and even though a lot of them were small-town folks, it would not shock me in the least if 12 generations ago they were doing exactly the same shit, Mm -hmm. right? As your ancestors would have been doing, just in a different place. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
3: I don't know that they were wasps, though, because they were more like
1: wasps. They were Catholics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a different thing. But they were white Anglo-Saxon Catholics on that side. Yep yeah oh maybe our ancestors fought each other in some ridiculous religious (laughs) war quite possibly quite possibly yeah Uh, i mean obviously mine were catholic to a point and then and then yeah (laughs) right yeah yes yeah yeah but yeah yeah the debate about whether or not kinksters should use the word slave i'm like and it's funny because i've i've sometimes used that word as shorthand about total power exchange. yeah, yeah. And, and about like identities or desires and something totally. that is a current personal project is starting to interrogate more the terms and words I've used or I currently use to identify and communicate because I've realized that so many of them are shorthand and leave so much room for miscommunication. And,
3: and for clarity for folks listening, I just want to mention that
1: I'm not of the opinion that people shouldn't
3: use the word. I know the word's not right for me. And I feel like people who do choose to use the word should at least have some Relationship to the word Or at the very least Have spent some time Considering what relationship They do have to the word Even mm-hmm. if they don't have A relationship to the word So I'm not even trying To prescriptively say Like don't use this word I'm just saying like Hey it might be worth Thinking about why We use this word And who it affects Mm-hmm and I, yeah. I'm comfortable leaving you with that,
1: just being like, think about who's the I think that's a good sum up of that, that issue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh.
3: I personally like owner
1: property, mm. which for me, a lot of people would be like, isn't that more trivializing? And I'm like, well, not of my dynamic. Yeah, and it depends. It depends on your like your ideas about property. Like, right. um, I take really good care of my things. Right? Yeah, and I come from a background where I wasn't, I didn't used to take really good care of my things, and now I'm starting to more. Mm-hmm. Um, a concept I have actually started using, and um, I do a bit of power exchange with one of my best friends because we're in a liminal space, <laughs> and I messaged them the other day and I was like I think instead of ownership I desire stewardship definitely right so it's not about having total control and power and dominion over Mm -hmm. it's about someone who recognizes my unique qualities and resources and wants those used to the best effect either by them or in the world sure right so there is there's caretaking there's kind of more of a global or ecological viewpoint um there's capacity for me to be self-directed when appropriate right things like that yeah i can totally respect that yeah i'm still working out exactly what stewardship means and what i what i want and what and i think that that is reflected in this dynamic i'm engaged in Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's all developing. Who knows? In six months, I might have a completely different opinion and a completely different word.
3: That is so legitimate. That that definitely is how I feel about a lot of this stuff. You'll have to forgive me for, like, troubleshooting my microphone. Because <laughs> I'm still troubleshooting my microphone. That's okay. I'm just trying to figure out how to, like, get enough enough volume that I can be heard a little better. Okay. Eh, that's probably fine. That's probably I like I'm just like, whatever, this will work. I'm just trying to make sure I'm loud enough that people
1: can actually still hear me. That is important. I'm so quiet. (laughs) Oh. I'm also like,
3: yeah, no, I think my microphone's working. Yeah, I'm probably fine. Okay, good. Your microphone just seems to work so much better than mine and I'm like, why? Do you want to try trading microphones? No, it's probably just me. Okay. Um,
1: Right. What were we talking about? Right. Usage of words. Definitions. Definitions. This is a great segue to my next question.
3: Oh, yes. Please do.
1: And I I feel like this will be a bit juicy. What is your definition of friendship? (sighs) (laughs) What is my
3: definition of friendship? (laughs) I would say it's an interaction between two people where... They help each other get needs met. Mm. Interesting. And those needs could be like needs for connection or needs for community. I'm genuinely concerned my microphone is not on. But I'm like, how is my microphone not on? Why is this not a thing? Oh, it is on. It's just really, really, really quiet. Okay. All right. I don't know why it's so quiet. Anyways yeah so I would say friendship is all about getting needs met and it's really just a question of like what needs are getting met and we tend to like group our relationships and our friendships into different categories based on needs. Mm. So, if they're like sexual needs, we tend to think of them as quote unquote like intimate partners. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I suppose the mainstream would call it something else like friends with benefits, or they would call it like fuck buddies, or they would call it like, you know, fiancés, <laughs> on, like what commitments had been made because commitments matter a lot in society.
2: Right.
3: Wow, that sun is hot.
1: It, it, it is hot. I'm actually very much in, enjoying this. Okay, good, good, yeah. good. As long as you're not getting burnt. Yeah, it, but if you need to move to a shadier location, we can do that.
3: I'm feeling okay right now. I'm probably just going to drink some water. But yeah, friendship is... Like, it's simple when I talk about it like that, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot harder to... I think have a really clear definition I don't know Mm. what do you think friendship is
1: um I don't have a super clear definition on friendship um I mean I feel like it's to a certain degree voluntary or volitional like it's a choice that people make yep um and I think friendships get based on a lot of things. Sometimes they're simply based on proximity. Like I think about things like, who was your best friend in grade two? Sure. And chances are there, were, there was another kid in your grade two class or a kid in your neighborhood, right? Right. Um, I think that generally it's interactions or relationships that make you feel good. Like they bring a certain amount of pleasure into your life or enjoyment. So it's funny that you say
3: proximity because I was thinking of like the best friend that I had when I was in like grade two, and it was some guy with the username Omega Falcon. That was <laughs> on, uh, I was in grade two, in fairness. Yeah. Um, that I knew on ICQ. Oh my goodness. The instant messenger oh from goodness. way back when, before, before um, um, Microsoft's instant messenger, mm-hmm. MSN instant yep. messenger. I think I was a teenager when I was on a ICQ. It it literally used to make a boat horn sound when
2: you
1: launched it. Oh, it was so terrible. So terrible. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's true. The internet has changed proximity. Like, my godson, some of his best friends are, like, they're scattered all over North America and, like, one's in Japan and all this stuff because those are the people he plays, I believe, it's Pathfinder with.
3: Totally. I would believe that. Yeah. So, you want to know what's really funny? When you said, my godson, I heard, my god, comma, son. (laughs)
2: Like, my
3: godson, the internet has changed. As opposed to, my godson is friends with people he plays Pathfinder with. Yeah.
1: When you first said, my god, comma, son, I was like, as if I had just remembered that I had a child.
2: (laughs) My god, son!
1: Right.
3: (sighs) Which, you know. I just assumed you were addressing addressing
1: me as son, and I was like... (laughs) all right all right i can roll Um, with this i don't i don't know if i would use a super gendered term like that for you because i i think we've one of the conversations that made me feel like we could be friends Mm -hmm. was us talking about how both of us are like generally cis sexed. but both of us are kind of a little bit more maybe liminal about our gender totally yeah yeah that is
3: how i feel about my gender I feel like, so it's, it's it's interesting, when I'm around folks that are like, um, say POC folks, mm-hmm. and they say things that are like slightly racist about me, I feel more comfortable bringing it up and talking about it because... I feel like there's this shared camaraderie in what that experience is like. So when we mm. talk about like gender stuff, mm-hmm. I like it doesn't bother me when people use gender terms for me if they're also some form of gender queer or non conforming. Oh, okay. So like if you had like sexed me or like gendered me in like a very masked way, I would have been like, Okay, cool, that's like the part of my gender that's showing right now. Right. Right, like that's the facet that Tilly's mm-hmm. highlighting. And and it wouldn't have landed for me as like sexist or like any kind of like shitty gendering. It would have just mm-hmm. been like Oh okay cool. Okay. Cuz I'm I like already extend that like benefit of the
1: doubt. Right. That that you wouldn't <laughs> be. <drawing laughs> and I'm not like trapping you in this sh- sun-shaped box forever. Right, right. Although I did have a moment of like definitely feeling a generation gap when you're like when I was in grade 2 and on ICQ. <laughs> And I was like, wow, in grade two, we had, like, a machine that played Pong in the basement. Legit. And I'm not talking about beer pong. I'm talking, like, actually a game that literally all it was was trying to, like, hit balls off, like, paddles. I think I was in grade
3: four. Okay. When I was in ICQ. Mm-hmm. But because the conversation was grade two, I was, like, close
1: enough to the grade four. <laughs> Just approximate it. Mm-hmm. It's funny how those differences are like so big when you're in grade two versus grade four. It's like huge. Right, right. And now as an adult, you're like, oh, it's just, you know, two years just like happens. Oh my and goodness.
3: The first time I realized the partner I was sleeping with was born in the 90s.
1: Oh. <laughs> Yeah. I was about to say, I don't think I could do that. But then I'm also simultaneously trying to do the math about when one of my partners was born. So...
3: If it's less than 30, if it's, if a person's younger than 30.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, then I'm,
3: yeah. You are sleeping um, with the 90s, baby. I'm sleeping with the 90s, baby. Oh. The first time I realized that, I like, my heart stopped for a few moments, and then I did the math again and was like, but it's okay to sleep with someone born in the 90s now. (laughs) Yes. Now that's okay.
2: Yeah, true.
1: It's, one of my newer friends is like somebody that I realized, you know like had been born within a couple years of me becoming sexually active like Uh, I can understand how that would be like. Difficult. I am, yeah. And then I realize that maybe this is a good thing and something that I should embrace is, like, because I'm 40 now, is becoming friends and having relationships with people who could be my children, technically, right? Like, sure. you know.
3: Especially if you, uh I got chicken on my dead cat. <laughs>
2: that
1: is a phrase <laughs> you very rarely hear. <sighs> I'm sure the cat would have appreciated more had it been alive. Very much so.
3: Mm-hmm. Very much so. Also, for those of you who don't know, a dead cat is a wind reduction furry ball thing you put on the end of a microphone. Mm. Yep. Yeah, sleeping with people of different ages is
1: very interesting as an adult. Mm-hmm. Like. I've totally slept with someone my mother's age. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, she was aboard the exact same year as my mother. It was a bit trippy. And I was just... There was just a little, like... In our interactions, there was just a little, like, acknowledgement that we were of completely different generations Mm -hmm. and that she had knowledge and experience that I was never going to, like have in a like uh, like being a hippie in the 70s right never gonna have that experience
3: just not available right so that's like in the polyamory scene every once in a while you run into one of those that's like i've been doing polyamory since before you were conceived <laughs> and at that point you're just like you're right <laughs> and you're like true. wow you are the hipster polyamorous person mm-hmm. i feel like we need a word for that hipster polyamorous no like like for like polyamorite Mm. like a person who practices polyamory
2: Um,
1: yeah I don't think I've never heard a like it's been like over 20 years I've never heard a good phrase that's weird right I
3: feel like there's a word for
1: everything but we still say polyamorous person I've heard polyamorist occasionally. Oh yes, I have heard polyamorous. That's we, a good point. I think I think it's because it's not an elegant term or a lovely term. I, I think that's why we're not super attached to it. Mm-hmm. But yes, people usually use polyamorous as an adjective, I right. believe. Yeah, I would agree with that.
3: Mhm. <sighs> so yeah, so this um this mic kit for that we're using I think was like $50. Mm. And then the H1N Zoom that we're using to um, record everything was like 130 or something like that. Okay. We would be getting much better signal from the H1N itself. Mm. But that would mean holding it and directing it at faces like an actual microphone.
1: Oh, God, that sounds difficult and unwieldy. Mm-hmm.
3: But that's what um, Caitlin Press would have been using when uh-huh. she first started. She would have used this device. Nice. Or really an older version. Mm-hmm. The H1, not the H1N. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of cool that in so many ways what got brought us to this park to record this was work that a person did with this recorder.
1: I know. That's kind of amazing. And yeah... Yeah, I listened to like an epi- I think a couple episodes of The Heart and the reason why it kinda got me was that the first one was talking about like lesbian history in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. And I was like, Yes because queer history is like one of the things I nerd out on enjoy. Sure. Um You must have loved that movie, Stonewall, with all the whitewashing that happened. I refuse to see that one. My Stonewall movie is the one that they made about 1994, which is kind of a fantasy retelling with musical numbers by POC drag queens, right? Like, I don't know if you've seen that one. I don't know that I have either. I'm going to quickly look it up so I can like provide a bit more information about it. Or maybe we can do that later in, like, notes or something? Yeah. I mean okay. You're welcome to look it up now if you'd like. Yeah. I feel like that's time-consuming. I, I don't feel like it.
3: Okay. If you don't want to, that's fine, too. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Let me see. Is there any other burning questions?
3: I didn't actually even see that movie, Stonewall. I literally looked at screenshots and was like, I don't know who in that picture is supposed to be Marcia Johnson or Sylvia Rivera. <laughs> I'm like... Yeah. I it's literally like a mob led by a mask presenting cis presenting white dude right I'm like what no no
1: yeah I I had erasing history I think I saw like a a few headlines that first were like we think it's not going to be so great because they cast this white guy as the lead and then it was like no it totally erased history and I'm like I don't need to shove my queer dollars at that you know like
3: the whole like oh we don't want to take out these statues of slavers because it's rewriting history it's like mm, i don't know you seem to take out figures of all other kinds yeah i don't see
1: why you have to stop at white slavers can't take (laughs) those out take those also i'm like no like they're still in history they're still all over history we just don't have to like the school recently that you don't have to celebrate it yeah exactly like the school recently that took down like the cecil rhodes name um you know, who was involved in Rhodesia. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh, South Africa, bad oh. history. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this school in Vancouver was just like, so we have this name that they, na- they changed the name of the school, but they had this sign that was currently on the playground. And then they covered it up with some plywood being like, we don't know if we really want to celebrate this guy. And now they have decided to take the sign down.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, which
3: makes sense. It doesn't change that that person is mentioned by name, that that person did what they did, that their legacy lives on today. It just changes that we're not celebrating it. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to make a movie to celebrate specific historical figures, like maybe don't erase who they were and what informed why they did what they did. Like that's part of the history itself.
1: Yeah. Like maybe, oh. <laughs> maybe actually have them in the movie. Are they, are they still alive? Um... No, I don't mean have them in the movie, but oh. like make sure there are characters sure. representing them are featured in the prominently in the in the text of the film right yeah. like and yeah. I do understand the
3: argument that to a large extent like the whole, like, through the first brick idea is a bit of a legend and a myth mm-hmm. because it would have been an angry mob, not one specific person necessarily. Yeah. But for the purposes of, I think, activism and organizing and for the purposes of having that story and that figure to rally around, I think Marsha Johnson and Sylvia Rivera got a
1: lot of that. Like, yeah. you are the leaders of this. And they can, like, what's amazing is they just continued that work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like this one moment in sixty in June, uh, June 28th 1969 and that's it like okay. um, like Sylvia Rivera had like this amazing and, and like I don't, know legacy, a lot of, yeah. I don't know a lot of the history around it but I remember hearing that
3: um, Sylvie, Sylvia Rivera used she her pronouns
2: I don't actually know but I, I think I think it's. Sh- I think
1: she used different pronouns at different types of her li- times of her life. Interesting. If I'm that um, makes it,
3: well, in which case I will just use the generic they/them. <laughs>
1: yes. Because um, also believe- it's like, what year are you talking about, Sofia? Right, right.
3: Yes. <laughs> I believe that Sylvia was kept out of speaking at a lot of places and that there was a lot of effort to prevent Sylvia from having a platform. Right. I mean, I could be mistaken, but that's what little I remember from what little Mm -hmm. of the history I've learned.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've heard a bit more about, like, the Sylvia Rivera Law Project and the fact that she, I believe, and if I'm wrong, please forgive me, I believe that she, like, organized, like, housing for, like... Sex workers of color, and amazing things like that throughout her life. So, yeah. Yeah, working
3: working to reduce marginalization is a worthy goal, I think. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. We have so far to go in Canada. (laughs) I know. I
1: know, because 1969 was when. Homosexual acts were decriminalized between men over the ages of 21, which leads me to wonder. (laughs) Like, I haven't, I haven't done the research about Uh um, when. I can't remember, but I believe it's quite recent, as in within my adulthood, that the age of consent has been lowered to be comparative to the age of consent for heterosexual sex acts. Has it been lowered? I believe yes. yes. I think it got lowered to like 18 maybe. Yeah. still. So- we
3: raised heterosexual sex consensual age of consent from 14 to 16.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, <laughs> I wonder if I can be charged for shit I did as a teenager. You know, it was, right? I,
3: I think it wasn't retroactive. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a moving forward kind of deal. Yeah, it's true, because so many of us would have been in trouble. Well, and that's the thing, right? They, they, I think the idea of laws being the way they were was meant to not start people off with the experience of enjoying criminal activity. <laughs> like, I think the idea was, if a 14-year-old and a 14-year-old get together, we shouldn't be telling them what they're doing is legal and they can go to jail for it. We should just let them experience whatever their emerging sexuality is like for them which i think is actually incredibly forward thinking yeah especially for like you know a whole bunch of older white men in like ye olden days canada to be like yeah you know people have sex when they're really young we should just let them do that yeah like 14 within two years so if a 12 year old and a 14 year old have sex that was still considered legal then which yeah. is, like,
1: neat because that stuff happens, and today we don't really recognize that in a lot of... Uh, yeah, I find there's a lot of effort to, like, desexualize young teens, and I was like... Which isn't, which isn't a terrible idea because, no. like, if you look at, the, like, The Gap...
3: Oh, sorry, The Gap. Wow, that was... I went to The, the Gap, like, kids, and then I was like, no, 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 no. you mean uh, a girl. Uh, <laughs> not right. the same thing. Different chain store. Right. Different kind of infantilization. Yeah. 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 So when I think about like, you know, 12 year olds wearing like lingerie, I'm like, why would we dress our children like this? Yeah. But at the same time, if, you know, 12 year olds are going through puberty earlier, I mean, mm-hmm. by which I mean when teenagers and tweenagers are going through puberty earlier. Because if I say 12, obviously that still means 12, even 100 years from now mm-hmm. or 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just putting caveats in everything now. <laughs> the point being that. Yeah you know if if folks are literally experiencing sexuality earlier mm-hmm. and we're in and in a lot of ways we're encouraging this it's kind of a rock and a hard place it's really hard to say oh but we're not going to let we're going to tell these these children for lack of a better word to be sexual we're going to give them all the the lingerie and all of the the songs and all of the stories to go with that <laughs> all of the fanfic all of the access to pornography with the internet but then we're going to tell them oh but don't act on any of this because yeah, it's, it's right. wrong yeah right it's, it's a really weird rock and a hard place to put
1: yeah humans in and when i was when i was doing sex ed with teenagers it was it was really interesting because i was doing it through the unitarian church and their our whole live sex, sexuality education program in some ways is really progressive in some ways at least a decade ago needed some work okay um, but i remember at one point they were talking about like addressing you know like um, a wide range of sexual expression for 14 year olds and part of me was shocked and then the other part of me was like you know remembering that i may not have been ready to do some of those things as a 14 year old but i was certainly ready to think about it right and to maybe consider the you know maybe being set up with a bit of logistic information you know could have served me and stuff mm. like that like and it's really interesting to watch myself go back and forth on that line because some some days I feel really repressive and other days I do things like I'd ordered a um, sex education comic Mm -hmm. and got it shipped to my friend's house borders duties etc right and at their house realized that like one of her kids is turning 10 and I was like How about I read this and leave this at your house? Because, and she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Well, I think
3: there's this idea that, like, we shouldn't give younger children access to information about sex Mm -hmm. because we don't want them having sex. But so many kids that are, you know, like eight and ten. That aren't even remotely thinking about having sex. There's so many ways to teach them skills in and around mm. what makes for a good sexual experience, like consent, like yeah. not forcing them to hug their relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really basic one, but I'm sure you know as a sex educator. There are lots of little ways that we can model like healthy relationships and negotiation and communication right. and consideration and asking for what they need and feeling permission to have needs, like. right?
1: And and like allowing those to be different on different days based on how you feel or who you're with or what's going on, right? Yeah, all like of that, all of that piece can be taught to kids
3: in a mostly
1: asexual way
3: and if we do decide to say oh and by the way also sometimes these get used for sex Mm
1: -hmm. we don't have to go into graphic detail about what that is and i think most kids don't want that no there uh, there is a certain age and i think it's different the other part is this is different with every kid absolutely right there's a period where it's like sex is gross and then all of a sudden you get curious or interested and at that point you want like I remember being in information seeking mode around sex probably about the age of like 10 to 11 is when it stopped being always gross and I wasn't and obviously that meant I wasn't ready for it right for me individually right and then at a certain point that changes at a certain point that changes and seeking information and a lot of the information that's available is just so terrible <laughs> right you know and so at least providing information and doing passive things like oh there happens to be a comic book on a certain topic on the family bookshelf right right and it's, it's funny how like
3: you can't give it you can't give a teenager information on sex you can't give a teenager lube or condoms but you can be like, hey, just so you know, here's where the lube and condoms and information are kept, and then walk away. Yeah. You know, like, it will suddenly go missing one day. Right? <laughs> it's like, it's just like knowing how to approach these things that, if if we can remember back to when we were teenagers, <laughs> were awkward as fuck and difficult. And even when, you know, you desperately wanted the information, you desperately didn't want your parents to know that you desperately wanted the information.
1: Or... They were the last people that you wanted the information or like from yeah. because that implied that they knew about sex which implied that they had been having sex which yeah which is just becoming not gross at that point yeah yep yeah. strategies strategies
2: mm-hmm mm-hmm
1: yeah, because that's the thing is, is I learned a bunch about sex from the internet, which is a bad idea, right? Because Scarlet Teen was barely up. Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I learned from a lot of, like, pornography, um, and because I was a nerd, a lot of really weird pornography.
2: <laughs> I don't know,
1: sometimes I have these moments where I'm like, living in
2: the future is pretty sweet,
3: it's right? It's the distant future of the year 2000. Yeah. <laughs> I watched um, Neon Genesis Evangelion recently. Okay, I haven't seen that. It just came on Netflix. Yeah. So I watched it a long time ago with a partner who was quite suicidal. Mm -hmm. And I was very depressed at the time. And it was a really intense show because it's highly depressing. Mm -hmm. And it's basically about trauma. And a lot of the story is an allegory for trauma and an Mm -hmm. allegory for, like, why we revisit trauma and how we deal with trauma and why we choose not to kill ourselves mm. that's basically the show right it is a really deep intense gut-wrenching show where you watch a lot of people go through horribly traumatizing things mm. but fortunately there's only 26 episodes of it and the runtime each is like 20 minutes a piece so oh
1: wow that sounds short. like yeah i might binge that next time i'm having a bad day <laughs> yes that is exactly what it's for <gasps>
3: I find it's easiest to binge in two pieces because I get really emotionally exhausted. Mm. Right, like I've tried binging all 26 episodes at once, and it's like nine hours. It's a bit too much. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Whereas if you do it in like a five-hour chunk, and you kind of just tackle the first like even a little more like six hours, you can tackle the first 18 episodes or so, Mm -hmm. and then I would say leave that last push for a second piece, and because there's a movie that follows it, they sort of ran out of budget, I think. Mm -hmm. or ran out of time to tell their story so in the last two episodes everything's really 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 compressed and like the fan base was very upset there were death threats over it which is unfortunate and this was before death threats were like a common twitter occurrence this was like you had to mail shit (laughs) but the distant future then is like the year um 2015 because it was written
1: about 1995 <laughs> right yes uh,
2: excuse me yeah yeah yeah
1: i have a lot of weird feelings about living in the future partially because um so i've lived with like varying levels of suicidal ideation basically since childhood totally me as well yeah and so um a lot of that crystallized around y2k because okay. I was 20 years old I was 20 years old and I was an auspicious time It's it was an auspicious time right and um, maybe all the computers were going to stop working overnight and you know all of that stuff and like a whole bunch of people believed literally it was the end times and then you know January 2nd rolled around and uh, everything was fine and so literally the last like 19 years of my life have been living through a future I never understood that I'd see right Mm. so it's this kind of like constant surprise and it's been only within the past like maybe two years that I've even had the capacity for long-term planning just because of like literally how my mental illness has played out over over this time so so it's really interesting constantly when people are like did you imagine that life would be like this and i'm like "Mm, right no not really but i didn't imagine anything frankly yeah so um it reminds me of i want to say the
3: song's name is cassie by flyleaf um there's this there's this lyric that's like don't be shocked that people die be surprised you're still alive (laughs) yeah and I'm like, yeah, that's basically how I feel. Basically, yeah. Exactly. The, yeah. First, the first time I really seriously looked at suicide and, like, actually got a plan and went and investigated and, like, figured out why things wouldn't work to kill myself. I was seven years old. Mm, so it's like, yeah. when I, I totally empathize when you're like, this is something I've been living with my whole life. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. And it's hard to explain to people when you talk about suicide because they just assume you're talking about either being a teenager or you're talking about something that's like passing. Right. And Instead I'm like, of... it is sort of passing in a cyclic sort of passing way.
1: Yeah. I find luckily some there's been a bit more dialogue recently about like chronic suicidality and passive suicidality and all these different forms that not being engaged with life takes and I think that's a really important conversation to have is that like life is actually like it's this really difficult, like, continual shifting set of problems to solve. Yeah. Um, Or at least that's my experience of it, right? No, I completely agree. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, like, there's all these, like, ways of, like, not wanting to engage with that complexity or the the fact that life is... Mm -hmm. There's always something in life you have to solve or have to, to deal with. Like, even I find my current experience of being emotionally stable which is super new for me Mm -hmm. and um, being able to do long-term planning and approach life like even that is a new problem to solve because I'm like what do you mean I'm not having like super high highs and catastrophic lows like right how do I live knowing that every day I'll wake up and I'll I feel pretty much the same as a baseline Like, <laughs> this is very strange how do I do this? Yeah. exactly like I almost feel sometimes I feel a bit like you know those um, the kind of groundhog day motif, like you wake up and you live the same day over and over yes i've for a while I was really feeling like that because i I just because with like yeah, with rapid cycling bipolar disorder, like you wake up every day and you literally have no idea how you'll feel mm-hmm. and and now I kind of do, which I guess is a normal experience, but it's not my normal so. Yeah. yeah. and
3: For a reference point, when you see me pull up my phone and take notes, it's taking notes on the conversation for editing purposes. It's yeah. not because I'm tuning out from like this really important conversation. No. no. It's like bipolar.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's
3: not I, like I pulls taking... out his phone and like casually disconnects from the conversation.
1: <laughs> right. Or that you were like making a note for like content warnings because some people might need yes. to skip this conversation.
3: That's totally understandable. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which I will
1: probably put on the episode. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Although I I feel like every conversation we have circles around here. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: depression's been a really interesting experience for me. Mm -hmm. Because it's been one that I haven't really known my life without. Mm. And as I've been getting more healthy and I've been doing a lot more work in counseling, I've been like getting to a place where I feel better gradually Mm -hmm. but I mean I've also been doing that counseling for the better part of like I don't know 12 years now 14 years I haven't been going every year right but I mean I did two concentrated years when I was very suicidally depressed Mm -hmm. when I was like 18 to 20
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, and then sporadically until like 24 and then I started again probably around probably around 30 Mm mm-hmm and um, I've probably been in counseling for a year and a bit now.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and I'm now about to turn 33. So, yeah. I have, a, I have a very different relationship to counseling and therapy because I tried seeking out it out a lot when I was a teenager because that's what they told you to do, that if you felt certain ways or you're experiencing certain things, go to counseling. Um, but what t- has taken me a long time to realize is that talk therapy isn't the best modality for me, mm. and that was what was chiefly offered to me as a teenager. And... So I actually like basically white knuckled. Oh no. A lot of my adulthood without, like, I had. You know, or I'd or I'd be seeing different psychiatrists at different times to try to get my um, medication worked out or my symptoms under control, and it was never very effective. Um, so really, I feel in some ways like a baby in the therapy world. Like I figured out a while ago that I wanted to try EMDR to deal with like a whole bunch of trauma that I've got stored up. And what, what does EMDR stand for? Um, eye movement. Right. Something something we can look it up. Like and so it's something response or yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And it's this really weird thing where they use bilateral stimulation. So stimulation on both sides of your body okay. while you are thinking or re experiencing your trauma, which is the unfun part. But it somehow magically rewires and gets you from you know how when you have trauma, it's like part of you is continually stuck in that moment. Yeah. Which is as everyone with trauma knows, significantly unfun to have like parts of your brain parceled right. off and like constant internal screaming. Yes,
3: uh, it's like inside of me is two possums. One of them is screaming, the other one is also screaming.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> except, you know, depending on how much trauma you have, like maybe you have 17 possums, right. maybe you have, you know, I like I don't know how many possums I have because what's interesting is my therapist started me on something that I didn't think was a trauma. And then when we started digging into it my brain was like no that's totally a trauma it's just like not trauma in all caps and I was like oh shit I've got a lot of possums yeah um and there's the whole like
3: constant exposure to stressful stimuli can be its own kind of preventing your brain from reaching a rest state. Yeah. So even though some folks don't have like one capital T trauma that was like an instant where you can point at a date, yeah. um, you know just consistent neglect from a certain parent in a certain way during formative years is like, yeah, I'm constantly anxious about this shit.
1: Yeah, like for some people it's more like um, lowercase trauma 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 like right, right. like no spaces in between trameleon
3: trameleon yes <laughs> so are you were doing the uh, Romeo and michelle's high school reunion trauma 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 trauma, 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 trauma traumillion. Traumillion. <laughs>
1: We should write that song. <laughs> it's, you come this, and go? You come and go. You come and go. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's... But the bilateral stimulation, while well, you're thinking about the bad thing, mm-hmm. now I tra- call trauma bad things because I just... Sure. It's it's how I live with it, right? Sure. Um Helps you get out of that stuck stage and, like, reintegrate it so, like, that possum is, like now part of the system and moving around and no longer constantly frozen in a scream. Right. Um, So I decided I wanted to do that. And what's really interesting was I found a therapist and I was like, oh, prioritizing people who had some experience of some marginalization. So I found this like lovely POC therapist who's also like, as far as I can tell, female, you know, Sure, fem-presenting yeah. Female... Pr- sure. I read her as female, maybe sure. is the, the accurate way. Um, cis-presenting? Cis-presenting, as like as far as we know. Sure. Um, and started seeing her, and then she was like, let's also do somatic work. Oh, my God. I, f- I felt bait and switched, like I felt betrayed by the universe. <laughs> uh, which is all about, like, tuning into your current way you feel in the moment, it's so
3: totally part of not having a screaming possum.
1: I've, I've <laughs> yeah.
3: definitely, like, grudgingly accepted that I need to do more somatic work. Yeah. And, like, I know mindfulness has a lot of, um, exper- like, a lot of experimental data now showing that mindfulness is really helpful, totally. not just in dealing with trauma, but in dealing with, like, self-compassion.
1: And life. Like.
3: <laughs> uh, and, and dealing with life. Dealing with yeah. anxiety especially. It's supposed to be really good for. Her. Totally. Yeah. So. One of the three elements of self-compassion. Right. The other two being common humanity, believing you are a person, no worse or better than any other person, ultimately. It's so weird. And you're like, really? I'm part of the human race. I don't know if I. I mean, like, I listen to that Radiohead song. It's like I want to be part of the human race. <laughs> you see, uh, that's the so funny because I'm not sure if I do,
1: but. <laughs> you I, I'm, know. I'm Trying to Here. think
3: of what song that is. High and dry, maybe. I haven't listened to that song in like off of like the bends or something. Yeah, like the of their, or like OK Computer. It's yeah. one of their early. No, it's problems. the bends. It is the bends. It Wonderful. is the bends. I'm glad I nailed it first. Yeah. I want to guess track three. I don't know. I don't I know. actually
2: yeah.
3: know. Correct me if I'm wrong, fan base. <laughs> we'll get like death threats. <laughs> oh my god that was like the other day i mean it wasn't but it was um where i thought that radiohead had released black swans and i was like no that's off of tom york's solo album the eraser or one of his solo alba i believe he has more than one also yeah. i chose
1: to say alba as the plural of album judge me <laughs> judge me death threats uh the meme i love most about death threats is is the meme about somebody who like was cut off in cut someone off traffic they threatened to kill her and she was like you think you're the one who gets to kill me and i was like that is imprinted on my heart now as the response to a death threat like you think you are the one who gets to kill kill me me. yeah that's pretty awesome yeah yeah but yeah that's a solid response yeah yeah no i'm i'm totally like i'm like yes yes um yeah. So like now I'm I'm baby stepping into like somatic therapy and EMDR and just like yeah, oh, and it it fe- it's really good that I quit one of my part time jobs because therapy totally is a part time job. It is. Yeah. That's a lot. And yeah. like the time you spend out of therapy is as valuable as the
3: time you spend in therapy.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, one of my things in therapy is I've learned that, like, she's like, go home and be gentle yourself right after a session, mm-hmm. which is great advice. It's easy to say. It's to- yeah. Number one, it's easy to say. But I've discovered from having done this a couple times, especially when we do the EMDR, so we're specifically working with my traumas, whether or not I call them trauma or recognize them as trauma, mm-hmm. is, like, I don't get the blowback. The day after the the evening of the therapy session, right. I get the, the, the blowback the day the day after the or? day the evening after. Oh, that's when the blowback because I'm a compartmentalizer. This is how I deal with bad things happening to me: is I put them in little boxes on shelves, and then I don't. But I don't control the filing system, so they come back at random. Yep. but I've discovered that the timing for the therapy blowback is like therapy happens on Monday; it's Tuesday evening that I got to be like, peace out, world. <laughs> I need to self-care. Yeah. At least you know. I n- I've figured it out now. It's taken me like three sessions of EMDR to be like, this is the timing. Of yeah. course, now that I think I'm figuring it out, it'll probably change. Right, because now your brain will be like, well, we should compartmentalize it longer because it's expected at this time. Yeah. It'll be like the Wednesday morning and you'll be like, God damn it, I have to go to work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I've done plenty of work days with internal screening. <laughs> Yes. All of the ways we learn to cope. Yeah.
3: Exactly. Oh, therapy. Therapy. Which yep. actually reminds me of the Neon Genesis Evangelion conversation we were having. Yeah. I've I've long since had this like thought that like even if I knew I was going to die, I feel like I would need to off myself before that date. <laughs> I don't I don't
1: you think you're the one who gets yeah, to kill exactly
3: me. right fuck you cancer <laughs> fuck you cancer yeah you don't you don't get to kill me yeah um but also I think it came from just like a sense of worthiness and just like mm. the usual reasons why people want to kill themselves right um so there was like a lot of there was a lot of worthlessness and a lot of feeling like I deserve to die that felt like it would be fundamentally unresolved if I died of natural causes, especially <laughs> if I saw it coming. Right. So it was actually, I rewatched Neon Genesis Evangelion and being able to watch all of the trauma unfold and watch how badly the characters coped with it and watched people become like nearly, nearly comatose mm. with just like crippling depression and anxiety and worthlessness. Um, and just be like non-functional, unable to go to work, unable to do what they needed to do. Um, It's hard to watch, you've been warned, it's hard to watch. Okay. Um, But watching all of that, knowing how it was all unfolding, how it was gonna end, just like helped me integrate more of that screaming possum. And Mm. I felt like at the end of that show, being able to be like, you know, I think I could accept a natural death. Mm. that was that was progress for me nice and it came from 10
1: hours of anime hey you know like wherever it comes from yeah that's part of my thing it's kind of I it's it's a bit like Kate Bornstein like sure where she's like do what you need world yeah Yeah. do what you need to do just don't need to be mean I'm basically like any scrap of like meaning or hope or strength you can get in the world like take that fucker and squeeze it as hard as you can yeah you know like if it's a mcdonald's commercial go you you were just the wizard who found meaning in a mcdonald's commercial like keep going
3: yeah yeah so that's that's been my recent update for like feeling more mentally
1: well that's good yeah it's Mm -hmm. a thing yeah I did a thing you did a thing you totally did that thing I yeah I'm feeling pretty proud is that I in the co-op interview we had I admitted that one of the reasons why we wanted to get into a housing co-op was that I was going to age and my disabilities would become more of an issue And that, you know, I would probably be able to work less and have less income. And so that we were planning for that. That's terrifying. Isn't it terrifying? Like, yeah. And it sounds like it went over well since they accepted me. Right, right like it sounds like that risk paid off but i could, like as i was saying these things like i have a with compartmentalization i have a lot of layers going on right and i don't like i don't let layer 7 always deal with layer 1 or layer 12 that much like sure you know so i hadn't like I hadn't thought about long-term life planning. I hadn't thought about like being in a community and I hadn't thought about setting myself up for it mm-hmm. in an explicit way, but I was like, Oh my God, I just did it. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I'm proud of you.
3: That doesn't nice. sound
1: easy. Yeah, it was. Well, the weird thing is it was more like I was, it, it's really funny because when you, you experience like long-term suicidality, you often sometimes catch yourself moving in a certain way that would make your death like more imminent or more likely or easier or or facilitating that facilitating that and and so it's really interesting it's almost like I have the same mechanism subconsciously slowly working towards making my life better and I'm like who are you and where have you been this whole time and like what's right wow like Yeah.
3: Like, what is this taking care of myself and self-caring and all this nonsense? Whoa.
1: And, like, happening without me, like, because I'm used to expending effort. Like, right. Like, self-care right. is work for me. Right. So I was like, oh, you just kind of happened. Yeah. 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 Well, on the plus side, it sounds like
3: both of us are actually in good places.
1: I know. Which is huge. I know. We could be friends and neither of us has to die. Ah! what is this nonsense <laughs> is that nonsense uh, at least for right now i can yes. accept that for right now we'll it's see true. how
3: i feel in like six months when it's winter oh it's true it's true the the gray season ah uh, yes the gray season mm-hmm. you know i actually really used to like winter when there was lots of snow but now i feel like especially in vancouver there's just a lot of
1: rain Although we've started getting snow with the global weirding. Yeah, the global weirding. I like that. That's what my mother calls it. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of like movement
3: of climate and movement especially of arable farmland which is really scary because that's going to cause food scarcity which you know as a rich person living in canada i say rich and on like a global perspective i am not rich in canada but um you know who's going to starve to death because of global warming not i right right it's going to be all of the other humans that can't afford you know the ones living on two dollars a day like will not be living on two dollars a day mm-hmm. yeah it's like that kind of thing so I've I try my best to run a very energy efficient household beyond that I'm like good luck world I feel totally helpless
1: yeah yeah it's it's really hard to choose between like doing the small things that make you feel like you have some power with all this impending doom it's really funny because i've moved from like impending personal doom to like impending global doom except i realized that this isn't a symptom of mental illness this is more that i'm just paying attention right yeah so like impending global doom like it's it's hard to be like do I recycle or not like recycling maybe makes me feel powerful, but I know it's just a drop in the bucket versus just throwing my hands up and like feeling completely helpless. And then maybe potentially, you know, not doing things I could be doing to improve the situation. Like it's it's so hard to like choose significant action Mm -hmm. with like late stage capitalism and climate change and, and, what appears to be the failure of democracy not that i'm sure that democracy was ever working that well to start with but like it it functioned period i mean you could say the same thing about
3: some monarchies i suppose right but like it was a system of government where you know like as a canadian i don't feel like we've been in tons of wars but maybe that's
1: just because like i'm comparing us to the u.s who seems to never be in peace yeah and also like It's been since the 1800s that a war has occurred in Canada. Right, which is an easy way to be detached from the rest of the world where that's not the
3: reality. Yeah. Like, no wars since... Eight, you know, I feel like we need one of those signs that's like, no wars <laughs> since 18, whatever.
1: Yeah, but we'd have to have two signs. We'd have to have the sign for, like, no domestic war versus yes. no, our yes. involvement in overseas wars. Which, which we have done. We have definitely
3: yeah. supplied arms and done all kinds of things to make us culpable in other wars. Yeah.
1: But we could have, like, a
3: X days since last domestic war. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason we should have that sign on, like, the peace arch is so that when U.S. tanks roll through the peace arch, all the numbers can fall off, and it can go back to zero as the person, like, falls off the ladder putting up the next number. <laughs> like, that's kind of, like, the way that I see that going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It'll be, like, however many hundred thousand days, because if you think about it, that's what, 200 years times 365 days a year is, like...
1: It's a lot of days. It's a lot of days. Yeah. That's a lot of days. And we weren't even technically Canada when the War right. of eighteen twelve happened. Like but
3: we could still say no domestic wars we, since
1: we actually we could just say no domestic wars,
3: period. Oh, but you know the issue there though is I'm noticing that all of the, ab- all the conflict with indigenous yeah, communities exactly. would like the- almost certainly
1: be considered a war from an indigenous lens. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the people would be like, it has never actually fucking stopped.
3: Right, that we are still at war constantly... That that the genocide and stealing of children has not stopped. Please stop yeah. being two settlers. <laughs> <talking about laughs> yes, yeah. no war.
2: We, we with, apologize. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, at least that we was, got there
3: in the end. Thank that was you. a gross. Yeah. Sorry, folks. Sorry, folks. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, it's yeah. not, but no, it's not okay. But we also have to hold space for people to make mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And we, we have to model fucking up horribly. Exactly. And being able to recover from horrible fuck ups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, (laughs) I feel like I need to get out of the sun, pee and get some water. That's
3: a great idea. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, in which case we on that lovely, (laughs) cheery note, we can draw on the annex of Canada by by foreign power and the um, obliviousness that I may have had to the annex of the people who lived on this land by Canada itself we
2: can end this session we will
3: end this session (laughs) thank you for listening to this lovely podcast in the middle
1: of queen elizabeth park i've had a really good time yeah it's been really fun yes thank you for joining me thank you thank you for bringing all the equipment yay yeah (laughs) thank you for bringing all the food no problem i look forward to our next one me too
0: So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash victorsalmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restorection by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and tsleil nations. Shout out to the Sikwepmek nation, on whose land I got my degree. Considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the T'Kamloops Te Sikwepmec folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel
2: mistakes again. Thank you.